Well, we, uh, we are in a new year, and uh, if I don't say Happy New Year to you um, going forward, let me just say it real quick, Happy New Year. I think you get like a, a, a one-time thing. The, the rule is if you have seen the per, haven't seen the person yet, and it's January still, you're still allowed to wish them a Happy New Year, but whatever. I think you just, after the first week, let's move on, right? So... Um, but hey, uh, anytime we are in a new year, we kind of go through a whole process of like maybe reevaluating. Some people do resolutions, some people don't, some, all these things. But I will say this, the reason that we um, prepare ourselves for a new year is because there are questions that will have to be answered um, this coming year. There are things that will actually transpire that you have no idea about. <clears throat> I mean, think about last year, the things that you went through and think about how God carried you through them. Or maybe you're going through something and maybe you're even feeling right now that God's not helping you through it. There's a lot that goes on in a year. And so I think uh, one of the things that we can assess at the beginning of the new year is how are we to live our lives? How are we to live our lives and how are we to live them in a way that, that, that God says to live them? And how do we stop from getting off track? Uh, that happens often. I mean, we, it is a natural part of life that as you continue to grow in Christ, that at some point you will get off track. And so there's so many of these things and how ought we to live? We, we should live knowing that Jesus is all that we need. That he is to be our primary desire, that, that, that there, is, there shouldn't be anything between us and him because he's already paid the price for sin. And so the only thing that comes between us and him is us. We get to know and believe in the love that God has for us and we get to live our lives with Christ at the center. And so we're going to be going through... Um, the book of Colossians, which will um, help us understand, you know, how do we actually live? We, we often think this, that we need to do more. Uh, that it, it makes sense. If you want to get better results in the gym, what do you do? You do more. If you want to uh, get good at golf, what do you do? You, you play golf more. If you want to, you know, whatever, you get more, it's more, it's more. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to Christ, we get trapped by the more. And I'll tell you what the more is in just a little bit. Because we say Jesus is enough, but we live very differently at times. And the result of this is a shallow faith, feeling distant from the Lord, which causes us to strive for more in life. And it's a sick hamster wheel that we're on and we're the ones just running and running and running and running. But we need to understand that even doing the more, whether it be in life or the more in our walk with the Lord, it will not satisfy. And why striving for more cannot be satisfying to us is because it's a mirage. Like we've been painted this picture of what Christianity should be. 
And sometimes it's actually a cheap imitation. It's a counterfeit. Like our faith can look legit on the outside, but on the inside, everything is just messed up. And the outside is just a show, and deep down we know it. So unless Christ is at the center, we will always feel a lack. A lack of closeness to him, because there is a lack in us always. There's never a lack in him. The lack is always in us. And so in this book of Colossians, we're going to see two realities. We're going to see what can be in the here and now. Because there is a here and now. We are in the here and now. And what will be in heaven. Both are only possible by knowing and believing that Jesus is enough through understanding that Christ is the center. Amen? All right. Let me pray, and then we're going to read. That was just the intro, by the way. That was a long intro. I apologize. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, have a, we'll stand and have a reading. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word, for what it teaches us, for how it guides us, for how it directs us. But Lord, most of all, thank you that you send your Holy Spirit to us, that we can be in a relationship with you when we uh, turn to you, when we say we want you, and uh, because you always want us. So, Lord, as we go through this book of Colossians, as we, as we focus on Christ at the center, um, Lord, help us to just live lives according to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able to, if you could please stand. I'm going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Those verses will be on the screen. Uh, you can uh, read along in your Bible as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in, Col- in Colossia, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that sprang the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Verse 6, that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Amen. Let me see So just some historical and cultural context that's going on here. This is the church of uh, the church of Colossians here was established by a man named Epaphras. And he was a co-worker along with Paul. Paul had come to that area and had had preached the gospel. People had come to know Christ. This was during one of Paul's missionary journeys. And um, Epaphras begins this church and, and they start to start to grow. But this is what's happening. The church was facing false teachings and false doctrines. And this false teaching threatened to pull these believers apart from each other. And by going away from the truth of the gospel, uh, they had started to go away from each other. And Paul addresses these, uh, these teachings, these false teachings, and he encourages the church to stand firm with Christ at the center, keeping their faith in Christ. 
What was happening here is that Epaphras was visiting Paul in jail. Paul was not able to be there. And so he gets this letter together for these Colossian believers that are believing lies. The lie came from false doctrine and bad theology. Now, what's the difference between doctrine and theology? Those are two words that we throw around in the Christian world. And we're like, you should get it right. And, and we just don't always understand what it is. So um, it's helpful for me to have a refresher. And maybe this is the first time you've heard something along these lines. Theology is really the study of God. It is the study of his nature. It is who is he? What, what makes him go around? Who, who, who is it? What is his character? What is his nature? He is holy. All of these things. That is, that is what we study. What he wants you to believe in is that he loves you. That is, that's the message of God. That's the theology, right? The doctrine is teaching informed by our belief in God. So doctrine is how God wants you to live. Instructions that are given in his word. Your belief actually informs your life. Your life reflects your belief. And your theology, what you believe about God, will inform what you actually teach or live about God. And so wrong belief theologically about God brings this false doctrine. You, you wonder, how do we get so off track? How do we, how are churches teaching certain things? How are churches like, you know, hey, I'll send you this rag that I prayed over and I'm going to mail it to you and you're going to be blessed and healed, you know, just by ordering the rag or, or, or just the false teaching that, you know, that if, if, uh, if we get our uh, government completely correct, then, wow, everything's going to be great. That's, that's also false teaching. It's supposed to fall apart, right? Like we look around going, why is this so hard? Because uh, it said so in the Bible. It's going to get hard. And so these, these wrong, false teachings and misinformed teachers mis- leads to misinformed living. So as we're teaching false things, people are living in, in the false way. And Paul's response is to write a letter to them. And he starts by pointing to Jesus and encouraging them. And look what he calls them in verse 2. If I was writing this letter, I would have been like, what's the matter with you? Verse 2. He calls them brothers and sisters. In other versions of God's word, he calls them saints. He's saying that you are faithful brothers and sisters. He's having affection for them. You are my brothers and sisters is what he's saying. Like I'm writing this to you as a brother in Christ. We are part of the same family. We are in Christ. He assumes the best. Like he assumes that they're saints. He has never met them. These are new people. And he wrote a letter of correction, yet he did it in love, not anger. What would our world look like if we addressed each other in love, not anger? I mean, he set the tone from the very beginning. And then he he moves into talking about grace and peace. And he says, it's, it's not from him. He says, grace and peace from God, our father. You see what he's doing here? He's like, I don't even know you, but... He's our father. There's a unity that Paul is bringing. Only he can give us this, is what Paul is saying. And then he goes to verse 3, and he says, we we see, 
with a thankful heart, like what he's praying. Like he's, he's saying, we've been praying for you. We're so thankful for you. Like we've been investing our lives in you because you belong to our family. And so we're going to invest our time, our energy, our heart in praying for you. Who or what in your life are you that committed to praying for? Like Paul is in jail. I think I'd be praying for me. I think I'd be worried about me. I think I'd be saying, why aren't they coming to help me? No, Paul's been changed by the gospel and, and he's giving thanks. I mean, man, a thankful, grateful heart can really change a lot. Like when my kids have come to me and have like kind of demanded like, hey, can you go ahead and get that for me? I'm like, no. But when they come to me and they say, hey, thank you so much for being the best dad in the whole wide world. I don't know where I'd be without you. You are my rock. Other than Christ. No, I'm just kidding. Like, but when we come with a different attitude, in life, and I'm not saying just like this whole positive attitude junk that we that we believe sometimes. Like, just have a positive attitude. Like, yeah, you're dying. Have a positive attitude. No, I don't want to. See, we can have a grateful heart, though, and that's what Paul is displaying here: a gratefulness for what God has been doing in this church. Yes, they've been strained. Yes, there's some correction coming. But man, is he grateful for them. And th this gratefulness is what allows a person that's in jail to think about how to help other people. To not focus on just themselves. We, I don't know if you're aware, we live in a very, very egotistical, individualistic, it's all about me world. And we say it's about other people. We really mean it's about us. This is different. I mean, this thankfulness can change your heart, this gratefulness that we are for what God has done, the grace that he's given us. It can change your perspective on life and it can truly bring you to Christ the sinner with a thankful heart. This is what Paul is talking about. So verse four, he's saying, we've been thankful ever since we've heard and heard about what? Their businesses. Their big, big church, their good deeds, their faith is what he's thankful for. I mean, think about what their faith in Christ was doing in their freedom for Paul, who didn't have freedom. Remember, Paul's in jail and he's saying, your faith in Christ is encouraging me. Do you realize that your faith in Christ, whether you know it or not, is an encouragement to other people that are going through a hard time that may not have faith in Christ right now? Maybe they've lost faith. Maybe they've never had faith. Maybe they're just, their faith is pretty dinged up. And I'm not saying fake it. Be real in it. Be where you are in your faith because God already knows where you are in your faith. And as you are where you are in your faith, guess what's going to happen? God is going to bring other people that will encourage you. 
I have been the encourager and I have been the encouraged. That is a cycle of following Christ. And so he says, we are thankful ever since we heard about your faith in who? Christ Jesus. Anything else we're grateful for? Yep. Your love for one another. That's the great commandment. That's one of our core verses, folks. To love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, they were doing it. And yet there was false teaching creeping in. So verse 5, Paul starts talking about the foundation. Like, where did this love come from? Where does this hope and truth, hope and what, based on what truth? The hope is this. The hope is heaven. I wish I could give you a better answer. Because there's a lot of people in here that are going through some really hard things that would like to have hope that like a loved one would get healed or uh, that a relationship would get restored. And guess what? It, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. It might not happen. But the hope is heaven awaits. That is our true hope that Jesus Christ is waiting for us, preparing a place for us. A forever home. You'll never have to upgrade. You'll never have to do home repairs. One day, we will be with Jesus and all that is wrong will be right. No tears, no sin, no anxiety, no evil, no death. Based on what? Paul's words here? No. Wishful thinking? No. Paul says based on the word of truth. You see, the gospel is good news that, yes, we do have heaven that awaits us, that Jesus came to us, that he died for our sins, rose from the dead, reconciled us to God. And in the here and now, he said, I will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to live in you. And so although we... Wait, our ultimate hope is, is, is Christ and, and, and that he's going to, we're going to be with him one day. Uh, I live in the here and now right now. And I want him with me now. And the good news is, is that he is. The truth is that God is with us, that God loves us. That is theology. That is the study of God, that he is always with you and he always loves you and he is for you. Are we going to sing that today? Didn't I hear y'all rehearsing that? I think we are. We'll see. He's for you. I'm not going to sing. Are we? Sweet. Beautiful. But see, the gospel is not an idea. It is not a philosophy. The gospel is a person. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I love the way the message said it. Message version. God put our wrong on Jesus who never did anything wrong so we could be made right with God. You see, Paul writes in here that 
this opening letter, that this gospel is active. That it, that he came to us, he came to the whole world, and because of the good news of Jesus that we are bearing fruit in our lives, that fruit is increasing, I know it looks like there's all bad news and there's a lot of it, but I promise you they're just not reporting what God's up to. Like all over the world, God is up to stuff. All over the world, there is fruit. And what is that fruit? The lives of people being changed. People understanding what the grace of God is about, what the love of God is about. It's not about an improved you. You are new. A new creation in Christ. And as you live as Christ commands, what you will start to understand is this more that we've bought into in the Christian world, more Bible studies, more small groups, more fellowship, more this, more that. I'm going to be spiritually disciplined. I'm going to, I'm going to be a good moral person. You know what? I'm going to go serve at Penn and manna in one day. I'm going to do all of this. It's all fluff if Christ is not at the center. And so we get to be a part of this bearing fruit of the gospel in our own lives and through our lives. We get to help increase the message of the gospel. Why? Because our father leads and guides us all over the world. And then verses seven and eight, I love that Paul encouraged Epaphras, he says, you learned it from Epaphras. He's like, there's somebody that kept this message going to you. Like I gave it originally that I've been gone. Now I'm in jail and now he's carried on. He's done this. He has told you this message. He is a faithful minister. And do you know that you can be a faithful minister without ever setting foot in a seminary? Because the word minister here means servant. And it comes from the root word in the original language, which meant to run errands. Uber drivers of the day. Average ordinary duties is what Epaphras did. And see, he, Jesus came for all and he can use all. I mean, think about who Jesus used at first. He picked fishermen. Eventually, a tax collector. Pretty soon, it branched out to be former prostitutes. People that were big businessmen that said, I'm going to stop being greedy. Like he started using everyday, average, ordinary people. And most of those people that he's using, guess what? You will never know their name. And why? Because it really doesn't matter. All that matters is Christ at the center. And if you're living your life for him, you could care less about your name being written in the pages of some documentary or book. You just want to live your life for him. So let's move to a time of silence um, to close out this part of Colossians. 
So I think whenever we kick off the book of the Bible, it's good to really pause and just sort of assess like where we are. And so there's a couple things that are going to we can do. You can stay in your seat and just remain silent. Uh, the prayer team is going to be in the very back there in just a second, as well as the last two songs. Um, so you might want to sit and be silent, and maybe during a song you want to go and be prayed for. There's a prayer team in the back. But this, this time of silence, um, I want you to receive these words of Jesus to kick off this time of silence. And just let it go wherever it goes with you and the Lord. The words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. <clears throat>